Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, ESPN is tasked with growing La Liga in the United States, but can they do it? Why ESPN's focus on La Liga will open up opportunities for others to acquire more rights. Scottish Premiership rights are on the move again. Our experiences watching the Olympics and your feedback in the listener mailbag segment. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, we're back. Um, this week, we've got, we're back to our old intro music. We've got some complaints about the new one. I, I wanted to mix things up a little bit because it's we're, we're trying not to be stale. We're trying to mix things up a bit. Talk about mixing things up a bit, Kartik. Um, in terms of viewing experiences, I, I probably the last week or so has been quite different. Uh, we haven't talked much uh, post Euros, um, but what have you been watching? Have, have, have you been watching the Olympics, whether it's soccer or not soccer? I haven't watched a minute that isn't soccer. And uh, come to think of it, I haven't watched much Olympic soccer either, other than the U.S. women's national team. I did watch. Uh, the first group stage games of the men's side, uh, France-Mexico, which was Jen Hildreth and Tim Howard, Egypt-Spain, Brazil-Germany, and promptly lost interest. I can't even tell you. Who, I know Germany didn't advance, but I can't even tell you who, who's alive in that tournament now. So, um, yeah, you know, that, I mean, the Olympics are not out of interest to me other than the U.S. women. Yeah, it, it's weird. Same, same for me, too. So this is not... Uh... So, so for my my family, usually I'm used to every four years sitting down with my family and watching the gymnastics or watching some of the events, the athletics events or whatever they may be. Uh, and of course, watching the U.S. women play uh, for this Olympics. This is probably probably my first Olympics where I'm completely a cord cutter. So um, my experience has been different. So I haven't been so I, I have gone to Fubo a couple of times which is basically a cable-like experience and switched on NBCSN to watch the Olympics to see what would be happening at that time and I can't even remember what it was but it was an event that I had no interest in 
and then I'm like, I'm lost. I'm like, okay, where do I go to watch what's what's the best Olympic programming of that day? Now, maybe on on maybe I should be tuning into NBC on the evenings to watch whatever's been shown, but I guess my my viewing habits have changed. But so you I mean these days. I'm kind of prioritizing my time. So if I'm going to watch something, it's something that I I'm going to that I'm interested in. So yes, I have watched a, a bunch of the US women's national team games from the Olympics, some of them live, some of them on demand later. But uh, as far as the other events, I haven't really watched any anything. So I th- I think that's part of it too. I mean, NBC would love nothing more than the the, the majority of America uh, in the evenings to sit down and just switch on NBC and just let it run from, I don't know, six o'clock in the evening till to midnight and be barraged with advertising and commercials and walk away thinking, okay, great. I mean, USA is doing great in this tournament. That That's not what I'm looking for. And uh, the, the New York Times actually mentioned this week too. They had a story about this and they're t- talking about streaming and how so much of the content from the Olympics is really not on Peacock, where you would think it would be. But uh, the New York Times said this week, understanding where to watch specific Olympics events practically requires a advanced degree. And it's true, too, because a lot of the, the, the actual soccer games, they've changed the schedule at the last minute. I mean, some of the games are on NBCOlympics.com, some are on NBCSN, some on NBC, some on USA, some on uh, Universo, some on Telemundo, some on the NBC Sports app. They're all over the place. So it makes it very difficult to actually try to figure out when and where these games are being played. So as a result, I haven't watched much Olympics either. I'd be interested to to listen to, uh, to hear back from you, the listener, if you have if your Olympic uh, viewing experience has changed or if you're in it uh, to win it <laughs> and watch as much as, as possible, maybe I'm missing some great content, some great programming. I'm just not seeing much of it. I'm not hearing much about it. I guess, I guess I'm in a bubble. It's my soccer bubble. And maybe I need to get outside of that. But I haven't really heard too much about uh, events-wise. I'm missing some great content. But Kartik, so uh, we're at Gold Cup though too. We haven't really we we talked a little bit about the Gold Cup in the last episode. Uh, not a lot from this past. Well, from the last time we we spoke, we didn't talk a lot a lot about it. But have you watched any uh, much of the the Gold Cup recently? No, it's had very little interest. Um, and I'm also I, I the, the fact that Cutter. Uh, they might be out of the tournament by the time people listen to this, but uh, the fact that Cutter has snuck up on everybody is. Uh, a little strange to me because I saw them in the Asian Cup two and a half years ago, which is actually the last time I traveled abroad. That's the COVID era for you. I saw them in person, and um, they were fantastic at that point, and they were going up against hostile crowds and winning the Asian Cup. So it surprised me two and a half years later, a lot of people in the North American soccer press are stunned by how good they are. What's your, um, what's your, ta- think- what's your take on that, though, Kartik? What's your take about, I mean, because Qatar, as far as I know, uh, have been signing a lot of players from around the world, different uh, ethnicities, yeah. and trying to get them to become, I mean, cross, uh, I guess, uh, residents or, or kind of uh, give them a Qatar passport. I, 
is that okay? I mean, are you okay with that? Or you mean, is that does that step over the line? Not really. I mean, Bahrain had done it before, right? So they learned from another Gulf state. And Bahrain, remember, got to the uh, intercontinental playoffs two straight times with a team made up almost entirely of Brazilians or people who were born in Brazil uh, and um, Europe and had been naturalized in, in Bahrain uh, and lost in the in the at the last like both times, right? In two thousand six and two thousand ten or two thousand five and 2009 to get into the six and 10 world cup. So it, it's not a new, um, it's not a new thing. Uh, Cutter, I'm not really okay with it, but at the same time, I understand, especially now that I've gone uh, to, to, to the Gulf, uh, that those areas are very kind of transient and cosmopolitan, even more so than uh, cities in, in the West. So you have a lot of people coming in and out at all times. So maybe it would be, um, a little myopic to say that there should be a team entirely of Qatari Arabs, uh, Qatari Arabs uh, representing Qatar, and that we should administer blood tests to see you know what people's uh, background is, and if they if they're, they they don't they don't have pure Arab blood or whatever, they shouldn't be representing the country. That having been said, I think the rules that FIFA has made it much more easy to uh, to, to, to to switch uh, national teams, switch national allegiances. Uh, Laporte switching from France uh, to Spain on the eve of the Euros this summer did not sit well with me. I have to tell you, that was one of the first um, player switches because I've always been on the side of the player saying, hey, hey if the player, uh, if his national, his, 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 the, the nation where he or she was born in is not calling this person up and they have some ethnic a heritage with another country or they moved there and played there for a number of years and have gotten citizenship, maybe it is fair uh, for them to switch. I, I supported Diego Costa switch from Brazil to, to Spain, very openly supported it, had some clashes with people over it. But the Laporte one really didn't sit well with me because it's not like he had moved and spent, I think, a whole lot of time in Spain. He had already been capped for France. Uh, he's well into his playing career. He might even be based on uh, you know, John Stones beating him out. John Stones was phenomenal this past year, but uh, and also phenomenal in the Euros. But but he's now kind of now on the backside maybe of his, his Manchester City career. So that didn't necessarily sit well with me. Um, with the U.S., we're seeing the U.S. get increasingly aggressive about this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Klinsman was criticized for it, but Berhalter has gone even further in his uh, attempts to get dual nationals to sign up for the U.S. And I'm of the view that the U.S. doesn't have good enough players and that if the, you want to be competitive in this atmosphere, you have to do that. So getting Serginho Dest to commit to play for the United States and Yunus Muse to get uh, commit to play for the United States. These are two players that have uh, a fantastic pedigree and would have played, been playing for the Netherlands and England, respectively, if, if, if Berhalter hadn't been so aggressive about recruiting them. Um, I, I think is good for, for ultimately for U.S. soccer and the growth of the game, but does it mean national teams are now more like club teams? I think that's an evolving debate. So I, I guess I'm kind of hedging on it, Chris, in a way I, I used to not. I used to think it was all perfectly okay. And the Laporte thing, and, and like when Bahrain did it, I, I said kind of similar things that, hey, uh, they, they're not going to be able to compete with a team just full of, 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 of Bahraini Arabs. But the Laporte one really bothered me. Um, so, so, so with the, with the goal... reason, I don't know why. So, so with with the Gold Cup, the one thing about the Gold Cup that there's, there's been criticism about the U.S. national team in terms of the way that they're playing and kind of uh, the disappointment in terms of their playing ability and, and they they haven't been able to achieve the the level that we're expecting. 
But what, what is that level? I, I mean, I, I don't understand this. Well, I'm just so tired of this discussion with American fans who think the U.S. should be better than Italy or better than Spain because that's the that's that's the expectation they set for the team. They've won every match in this tournament. They're playing with a B team. I, I, well, I don't C know. Team. Do they want some stylistic thing? I mean, if the U.S. won the World Cup, people would still complain. I, <laughs> I, I'm so tired of it. And I'm a guy who's a critic of U.S. soccer. But I have absolutely reached my wit's end with the American uh, the U.S. men's national team fan. I, I'm just tired of it. Yeah, I think I, mean, I think the expectations are high. I mean, partly because of who we're playing against, I, and, and it's no offense to any of the countries we've played against in the Gold Cup, but uh, in a lot of people's minds, they kind of think, okay, the U.S. should be just uh, just so much better than Haiti, so much better than Jamaica, so much better than well, Martinique. We beat them kind of severely, but so much better than Canada. So I think it is a very superiority kind of feeling that they feel that we feel sometimes the u.s we feel that we should be beating these these teams pretty uh pretty easily pretty convincingly and that um like the true big games are going to be in the world cup where we come up against uh the italy's of the world or england's or you mean argentina or argentina right because even Switzerland and Wales, who the U.S. have recently played in friendlies, I saw incredible disrespect from the U.S. fans towards Wales, who had made, uh, I don't have to tell you, you're Welsh, uh, semifinals of the last Euros, the previous Euros to this, and then disrespect towards Switzerland, who have made the knockout stages of I don't know how many straight tournaments and you know, generally are pretty good. They don't win anything, but they even got to the, uh, not, uh, the semifinals of the Nations League. And then right after the U.S. fans were complaining that they had played so poorly against Switzerland, Switzerland uh, is a couple of missed pens and pens away from being in the semifinals of the Euros. So I, I don't know uh, what these people – who do they respect? Who do they rate? Who do they think the U.S. shouldn't be beating? Because apparently it's nobody. The U.S. should be beating everybody, and they should be beating them stylistically and, 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 and passing them uh, off the pitch. That's the interpretation I have. Of the way they view the sport right now, the international. Yeah, I, I, I think you're there. I think I, I think a, a, a lot of those fans would be thinking that the U.S. have a good chance to win the, the next World Cup. Uh, the U.S. first has to qualify for that World Cup <laughs> in, in in a region that, that's. I mean, uh, Concacaf has made it easier for them to qualify, but there's still. I mean, you look, you look at the schedule for the fall, the World Cup qualifiers. You got some tough games there. You have Canada who will have their first team back, as well as the U.S. will have the, uh, our first team back. But you'll be playing teams like Jamaica, uh, Costa Rica, um, and, and Mexico, of course. So those will be tough games in our region. And then beyond that, you mean hopefully qualification for the World Cup, and, th- and then who knows where. But I think it, it, it's all, pretty much, I think it's always been, well, I wouldn't say it's always been that way, but it's been that way for a long time where the expectations are sky high. Um, and I guess in some ways it's good because it, it pushes the U.S. players to reach high. Sometimes they can meet those ex- expectations. Um, but but the one thing about the Gold Cup I would say, though, is that even though the performances haven't met the satisfaction of a lot of U.S. soccer fans, I think it's a good thing that, that the U.S. is playing basically, you, know, you mentioned a B team. You could argue it, it, it could even be a C team, but, but yeah. whether it be or, or C, but giving these young players a lot of experience in, in front of packed stadiums, um, in, in games where... You're going to have more more of the possession. You're going to have more of the ball, and just trying to build that confidence up. Um, I think long term, 
like short term, they may may not reach it all the way to the final and and win the final. But long term, I think that's going to help the US as far as Berhalter and have some more options of players, whether it's Robinson or some some of the other players on the team to actually give them uh, some playing time. Yeah, and the other frustration I have with U.S. fans is why I'm off Twitter during any U.S. men's national team game and, and uh, really try and avoid the, even the side conversations anymore is that they seem to uh, look at individual players. They still haven't learned this, which I think finally England fans have learned, and they've seen the, the chemistry of the bunch that Southgate has and, and uh, maybe that that team is actually punching above its weight relative to previous England teams. There is this myopic view of U.S. so many U.S. fans that you look at someone's individual abilities at the club level or what club they're playing for. So they automatically must play. And someone else who's not at uh, the same club or, or, or at the same level club or should never play. And they don't understand the dynamics of being in a dressing room, particularly in a major tournament, or the Gold Cup's not a major tournament, but in a tournament situation, uh, let's say in a World Cup or, or, uh, or, or another tournament the U.S. plays in, and being in a dressing room and being in a camp and being around the same people every day. Sometimes some of your better players, some of the people you rate higher might be bad eggs. Maybe some of the people who you don't rate very high are really good with the rest of the group and they're number 20 or 21 on the squad and they're probably not going to play very much so you'd rather have them in the dressing room. I see this analysis now in the in the English press, which we never saw before when people would always complain, you know, this from past tournaments. Oh, England didn't take this guy. They didn't take that guy. Why is Capello picking this guy? Why is Hodgson picking that guy? They now kind of get it because Southgate has had some success with, quote, his guys and being very loyal to his guys. Um, but U.S. fans don't get that. So I see most of the criticisms I see of Burhalter right now are, well, he should be playing this guy. This guy is playing at this club and, you know, did this in this game. And it, it's just uh, it's too much. I, I don't. And you know what? I used to think other national team discussions in major footballing countries with huge expectations were similar to the way it is in the U.S. But I'm finding like a, a greater level of maturity now in the conversations around Germany and around England and around Spain, uh, maybe not so much around France and Italy, although Italy now has won um, the Euros, so they're, they're back. Uh, they, they have a similar, like, very negative view of, of things often. But, um, yeah, the U.S. is out on its own, in my opinion, in terms of, like, the, the, the level of expectation versus the actual quality of the, the product. Yeah, it's funny in a way because soccer is such a fractured sport where there's so many different leagues and clubs and competitions and confederations. Uh, At the end of the day, we're all soccer fans, but we're all soccer fans of different teams and you mean different tastes, etc. But you have to wonder too, Kartik. I don't know if you've experienced this too, but I see Dortmund shirts and PSG shirts everywhere. You mean if if I'm out in public or if I'm watching something on on you know online or something like that and seeing people in the background walking around you would think that PSG and Dortmund are the biggest clubs in the world as far I mean you could include Barcelona and Real Madrid in that equation too but I think in many ways they, those numbers uh, add up to reality but Dortmund and PSG you would imagine that the Bundesliga numbers were through the roof for the, uh, for Dortmund, whether it was on Fox or, or ESPN. You would imagine that the being sports numbers for um, the the PSG games are off the charts, just huge. The reality is, it's not so. So I think there's a lot of fans out there that are, are, are casual fans. They're not, they're not hardcore fans. They're not watching every game. They like the shirt. They like maybe like one player. It could be Erling Haaland or or Neymar, 
but they're not necessarily watching the games. And, and then sometimes they are sharing those opinions, especially on you know, Twitter as one example, but on social media and saying like, hey, how come, uh, how come uh, Gio Reyna is not starting uh, for, um, for, for his team in the Bundesliga? Or how, how come you mean, Pulisic is not starting for Chelsea? But I think there, there's a lot of casual fans. And there's a lot of casual fans of just players, not teams or leagues. They're just a fan of that one individual player. And when that player does not start a game, they get upset. And they're not watching, you mean, the other players on the team or the other teams in that league to try to see, okay, how does that player actually doing uh, in comparison to, you mean, that that playing level. So, I, I don't know, some, some, sometimes I, I have to laugh at, at it just because it is an interesting thing to look at and to view. Um, and it does skew things. Again, you would think PSG and Dortmund are, you mean, win the Champions League every single year. All right, Kartik, let's move on to... Um, the match we're most looking forward to watching this weekend. Uh, there's, a, there's a few to choose from. I mean, you've got the return of the Scottish League. You have the Gold Cup final on uh, Sunday. We're recording this on Thursday, um, Thursday afternoon. So by the time it gets out, it's going to be Thursday evening. Um, I have a feeling that the U.S. is going to have a tough time against Qatar, and it could be Qatar against Mexico uh, in the final on Sunday. But but hopefully it's the U.S. My my match to watch this weekend is the uh, the French uh, Trophy uh, de Champion. That's my French uh, uh, accent there, but but it's basically a trophy to the champions, and it's uh, Lille against PSG on Sunday, two forty five Eastern on being sports and being sports in Espanol. Effectively, it's what the kind of the community shield of French football. And with Lille winning the title last season, uh, you wouldn't know it from all the PSG fans, but then PSG, PSG coming close in this one. Uh, hopefully, most of the star players will be, will be back for both teams. But I'm looking forward to watching this one, Kartik, uh, to watch a, uh, hope, hopefully a very open game. Yeah, Lille uh, has lost Samare to um, uh, Mangan. Obviously, their keepers moved to Milan. Donnarumma has moved to from Milan to PSG. And by the way, that was a decision by Milan that that Mangan was a uh, similar level after winning the French league and uh, a lot cheaper on the wage bill. So Donnarumma moved on uh, to PSG. Uh, Samare, who is a big star for that little team, has. Uh, uh, move to um, to Leicester City, so that's. Uh, but still, they have a pretty good core even without those guys. Uh, so it should be a good match. I, I'm looking forward to, uh, and I know we haven't gotten to the news section yet, but I'm looking forward to watching the Scottish League uh, this weekend on Paramount Plus. Part uh, Celtic is uh, on Saturday afternoon, and uh, Rangers Livingston, I believe, is earlier in the day i think maybe uh, nine o'clock our time eastern time uh, uh but those would be that's that's my viewing for this weekend as i'm focused on uh uh jumping into the scottish league now that we know where it's going to be and how accessible it's going to be all right speaking of the scottish league i'll let you lead off with the uh, tv streaming news uh headline news yeah, sorry, I think I already gave it away, but um, CBS Sports and Paramount Plus to broadcast at least 85 Scottish uh, games per season uh, for the next several seasons. You know, the Scottish League has jumped around from uh, from Carrier, Fox, uh, uh, was it on, I don't think it was on BN at one point, but Bleacher Report, ESPN, not being shown uh, at, for lo- long periods. Now it's going to have a uh, a home for the next uh, next, next uh 
uh, several seasons to the 2024-25 season, which would make that four seasons. And what's really exciting about this for me, Chris, is not only is it going to have a reliable home, and I've wanted to really dig more into Scottish football the last few seasons and haven't been able to, as uh, I've looked for other viewing uh, options outside of the English game, right? I've, I've become more of a fan of German and Italian football over the course of the last uh, f- five years or so, uh, and have wanted to jump into Scotland also. Uh, but to me, a real exciting aspect of this is the um, over-the-air component, not free-to-air. It won't be on CB- CBS, main CBS, but it will be on CBS Sports Network, uh, starting with uh, the you know, uh, several matches. Dundee Rangers on August 7th. Uh, Dundee Hibernian uh, Hibs on uh, August 22nd. The Old Firm is going to be on cable television in the United States again. Uh, Sunday, August 29th uh, with uh, Rangers Celtic. And they've got a, a match uh, on September 11th also on CBS Sports Network. So we're basically going to get, at least in the first two months of the season, a match on um, cable television in the United States once every two weeks, which is a real breakthrough for this league. So um, I'm super excited and, and, and uh, jazzed up about this. So I'm going to ask you, Chris, to bring me back down to earth on it. <laughs> well, well, this is news that we broke on uh, worldsoccertalk.com on Wednesday, and we had the exclusive on this one. I think in many ways, I have a lot of respect for the Scottish game. There's a lot of history, tradition, um, if you watch the league, there's some really interesting older grounds that haven't been that updated that often. Um, the football is decent. It, it, it's not. It's not going to be. It's not going to blow your minds by any means. Um, the only issue I have is it's got a long way to climb in terms of getting the viewership that it really would have had in the past, and it may not. It may never reach that level. I mean, with so many different options out there, viewing experience-wise, a lot of these games clashing at the same time as a English Premier League game or a Bundesliga game or a Serie A game or you go down the list. There's so much competition. It's good that CBS Sports will show some of these games on CBS Sports Network and it's fantastic that Paramount Plus will have many of these games except the ones that are on CBS Sports Network, which you need a cable or satellite provider or a fubo tv to get those games so so it's great for for the scottish football it's great for scottish football fans uh but you mean i i don't know i i will watch these games and and hopefully too hopefully cbs is talking to a derek ray and says hey derek we'd love to have you commentate some of these games for us talk to the the viewers and give them a little bit of the history Derek Gray for many, many years for B- uh, BBC and, and I think BT Sports has covered this league, knows this league inside and out. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pleased with the news, but my expectations are probably not as high as yours, Kartik. But um, but I, I'll watch the games for sure. I'll, I'll tune in to watch it. It's just that it depends what's happening at that same exact time. I might choose, I don't know, the Bundesliga or the, or the Premier League or the Championship um, at the same time over the Scottish League. That might be my number Oh, even La Liga too, right? So that might be my number four, yeah. number five league to to in my priority list, and and you only have so much time. So there you go, Kartik. So I, I, maybe I pulled you down a little, a little bit there, but 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 no, it, it's it's a fun league to watch for sure. All right, next news item is La Liga, and this is huge, right? We so we, we we've been talking about this for 
months since January, and the deal was signed a couple of months ago. And we know that um, ESPN is going to have a eight-year deal with uh, La Liga to go ahead and, and show La Liga games. Anyone who watched the Euros this summer, you will have seen some some uh, different promos or heard the um, ESPN crews talking about La Liga. From what I understand, within the ranks within ESPN, their focus now is 100% on La Liga. It's La Liga all the time. They're, they're talking about um, their coverage and some of the marketing that they're going to be doing from here on to the, the opening day of the season. Uh, every single week, there'll be some big announcements. Um, the, kick, the league kicks off on uh, Friday, August 13th, that weekend. And the big news is that opening weekend, you've got Barcelona on ABC, which is the first La Liga game ever on over-the-air television. So it's uh, Barcelona against uh, Real Sociedad, uh, 2 p.m. on Sunday, August uh, 15th. So massive, massive news there uh, for ESPN and La Liga. My question, though, Kartik, is we, we talked a few minutes ago about um, kind of how PSG and Dortmund are big clubs, Real Madrid and Barcelona are big clubs, but Real Madrid and Barcelona have delivered with numbers. So whether it's um, fans in the stadium packing out stadiums in Miami or New York, uh, or if it's just in terms of the number of fans that they have in in the United States, they're hardcore Real Madrid or Barcelona fans. But what what do you think? Do you think that ESPN Plus, where most of the games will be on, do you think they'll be able to make La Liga a, a success in the U.S.? That's a really open question because I think there are a lot of people who uh, believe La Liga is the best league in the world, really look down on the Premier League and, and resent the fact that the Premier League is uh, is as big as it is in the United States. I, I actually agree that I think the La Liga is the better league. I do not like kind of the patronizing attitude, and especially from Barcelona and Real Madrid fans that like, you know, they don't even play proper football in England. And now that English teams are winning in Europe, they're saying, well, it's because English teams have broken the financial model, right? That's the, it's the fault of the English teams that Real Madrid and Barcelona aren't winning. Uh, so there's always, you know, always blame someone else. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think it might be a niche audience, to be honest with you, because I have not seen that actual audience grow over the course of the last five years. Now, I have argued time and again it was on BN, and that was part of the problem. And it, it was part of the problem. But now we're in a post-Ronaldo La Liga. We're in a Messi is still brilliant, but he's surrounded. He's on a team which has got a, a credit rating which is one one or two notches above being a junk rating. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the reality. And obviously, you, you've tweeted about it, Chris, uh, mm -hmm. in, in the last few days. So, um, and at, Atletico doesn't quite have the uh, the cachet, although I see a lot of people wearing Atletico stuff in, in, in the U.S. Uh, but I, I think um, ESPN is going to have to really work hard and create relevancy and create a, a branding that says this is the top league with the biggest stars, with the biggest clubs. And that would have been much easier five years ago. And it would have been true five years ago. The La Liga was a top to bottom, a much better league than the Premier League. Premier League fans would always say, oh, well, the sixth place team in La Liga. No, actually, the sixth place team in La Liga was probably better than the 10th place team in the Premier League. Uh, if we're talking about in 2016 or 2014, it's not really the case anymore. So um, the timing isn't great. 
And I'm not sure they should be all in on this over the Bundesliga. And obviously, they have a longer term deal with La Liga in an actual partnership with the league uh, through relevant sports. And you and I were in on all the uh, media calls about that earlier in, in, in the year, in the spring. Um, but the Bundesliga still does have that attraction of an American, um, a, a, a huge base of American players that are part of the U.S. men's national team setup. And um, far more players or star players that are comfortable speaking in English. So to the English language American audience, it might still be a tougher sell. Um, to the Spanish language audience, it'll be huge. No question about that. Now, do they are they able to get um, South American fans and uh, fans of Mexican football to watch La Liga in Spanish? Uh, that's a, a, another big question. I think um, the availability of the Brazilian and Argentine leagues, now both in English and Spanish in the U.S., uh, might actually hurt them. Um, a little bit. So, right. uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hedging. I, I can obviously, <laughs> I, I think it's, it remains to be seen. I'm not, at, I don't think it's a slam dunk, basically. They're going to have to work very hard. Well, that, well, that's the thing, though, too. I mean, ESPN spent uh, $1.4 billion to acquire the rights to La Liga uh, over this, I mean, it's going to be an eight-year deal. It is a gamble. It, it is a risk, and and it is one of those things that um, if they had spent one point four mil- billion on the Premier League, that's a certainty. I mean that that audience is already there. Um, you're probably not going to get many more subscribers. Well, you you would get more subscribers, but a lot of the Premier League fans are probably already subscribing to ESPN Plus. But but I mean, there's there's some opportunity there. But the the, the bet that ESPN is making here is really uh, is on the Spanish language side, is on the Spanish language audience who up at, up until this point probably uh, don't really have ESPN Plus or probably have no need to get ESPN Plus because there's not much on there for them. Uh, for, for Yes, now for this season, for the 2021 uh, season uh, onwards, uh, they've added some uh, Liga MX games on there. Um, they went ahead and worked with Fox to get some of the the home games for Santos Laguna, um, T- Club Tijuana, uh, Monterrey, and they have that, and they have some Spanish language content, not a lot. So th- this is a huge gamble, a huge risk by ESPN to go after the Spanish language audience, and there's no guarantee that it's going to work. Because my question to you, Kartik, was: Will ESPN Plus be able to make La Liga a success in the United States? And, and there's probably some listeners that are saying, Chris, Kartik, you guys are crazy. La Liga is already a success in the United States. But La Liga is not Barcelona. La Liga is not Real Madrid. La Liga is the whole entire league. And if you look at the rest of the clubs there, yes, you have Atleti, uh, who won the league, which is great news. But you've got that opening game in the weekend. So it's uh, Barcelona against Real Sociedad. Hopefully by then, Messi will be able to clear up, um, and Barcelona and La Liga will be able to clear up all of the issues over his contract and and have him ready to play. But they're playing Real Sociedad. And you and I know, Kartik, that if you can go through the different La Liga clubs, there's some really great players, whether it's at Villarreal or uh, Alaves, etc., etc. There's some really good technical players but they're not very well known in the English language speaking audience and even in the Spanish language speaking audience so there's a lot of work to do that ESPN has to do in terms of almost 
like the beginning of the Premier League with NBC in 2013, educating the, the viewers and trying to point out the stories, the players, you mean, uh, the talent that is there, the history uh, and all these things. And it doesn't happen overnight. And I think this, there needs to be some of that education, definitely process and awareness on the Spanish language side, too. So it's a huge opportunity for La Liga and ESPN. Um, it's a gamble. It's a huge gamble. But by ESPN acquiring these rights to La Liga, to me, it pretty much says they're not going to get the Premier League. Because, I mean, they have the Bundesliga, they have La Liga. I think at that point, too, it's, it would be very difficult for ESPN to pull in, also add on to that, the Premier League. So it's almost as if at this point in time that ESPN's so focused on La Liga and the Bundesliga. The Bundesliga is a little bit easier, but La Liga. And then uh, the Premier League may end up going to renew through uh, NBC. Uh, CBS has Serie A and the Champions League. And um, But I guess the only question mark in all of this, too, is really CBS. Is CBS willing to overpay for the Premier League? Uh, or is it Apple TV Plus? Or is it Amazon Prime? Or is it uh, HBO Max? I mean, or is, it, is it a tech company that comes in and says, hey, you know what? Uh, YouTube TV, we're going to acquire the rights to the Premier League. And the only way you can watch the Premier League is through YouTube TV. And then you have to subscribe to YouTube TV. Uh, or, you mean, so, so there's, that's the question marks is, is over the Premier League. But La Liga... I think it's going to be tough. If anyone can do it, ESPN can do it, but it's going to require a ton of work and um, no guarantees at this point. So whether it's worth it or not, we'll have to see after eight years. Uh, at least it's on ESPN Plus, and I think that the Bundesliga move into ESPN Plus was very long-term thinking, a smart move, and it might be a very smart move too for La Liga in the long run. Now, speaking, Kartik, of... Uh, Peacock and some of these streaming companies internationally. So outside of the United States, um, uh, Paramount Plus and uh, Peacock have been so basically the parent companies, which is Comcast and Viacom CBS, have been talking about uh, actually forming some alliances. So if you're in Asia or you mean you're in Europe, actually uh, having Peacock and Paramount Plus team together. And merge together, whether it's a co-branded product uh, or, or, or some type of kind of uh, kind of strategic alliance. There, now that's something that's not going to happen in the United States anytime soon. But I think it's uh, Viacom, CBS, and Comcast understanding that they're up against the big the big boys. They're up against the the Disney Pluses of the world. They're up against the Netflixes of the world. Uh, can Peacock thrive by itself internationally? Can Paramount Plus thrive by itself uh, internationally? Or does it need to partner with somebody to work together to actually try to battle these big giants, these big media giants? So that's another thing to keep an eye out for. But that's that's new news uh, from this past week. And then lastly, Kartik, uh, ESPN Plus um, have gone ahead and they have the championship for this season, the English championship. Um, but this is the final year of the contract and the EFL, which is the English Football League, uh, will be putting out the uh, both the championship and the League Cup rights for bid for, uh, for the 2022-23 season onwards. 
So that's something to keep a close eye on, too. There's another rights deal that's going to be coming up, and probably by the end of the year we'll know who will have the championship and League Cup for the 2022-23 season onwards. So there you go. Any uh, any thoughts on what we talked about there, Kartik? There's a lot to, to take in. Yeah, so I, I do think that the the Comcast uh, uh, Viacom CBS uh, alliance is is uh, something that is in the interest of both companies. Uh, they they don't quite have the market penetration in overseas markets. Uh, Viacom CBS has, produced, has has developed a little bit more of a penetration in some of the markets uh, than uh, than. Uh, Comcast, uh, Comcast, NBC, Universal, but neither on their own with their streaming platforms can take on a Netflix or an Amazon Prime uh, or a uh, or a Disney. Those would be the big three in terms of international scope in streaming. They're probably still the big three in the U.S. too, when I think about it. But uh, certainly others are making a dent. HBO Max, especially now, uh, which is an AT, which is AT and T, obviously, or, or uh, Time Warner, is making a big dent. So. Uh, I I think that that's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to affect rights in overseas markets, but it'll have no effect on the U.S. But it might have the effect on the viability of both companies in the U.S. and their ability to uh, to, to to continue to, to kind of pump out the content that they're trying to do now. That's that's the thing though too about uh, Peacock and the Premier League is if uh, NBC did lose the deal and were not able to renew the rights to the Premier League. Um, and again, th- this current season coming up, the 2021-22 season, is the final season under the current deal. But uh, in the negotiations that are happening, continuing throughout the summer, and we'll probably have a an answer by the uh, late summer or early fall, who will have the rights for the 2022-23 season onwards. If Peacock lost in that, if NBC lost in that, I have no interest in, in continuing to be a Peacock subscriber. You mean, like, to me... Other than the Eurovision Song Contest a few months ago, I haven't switched on Peacock. I have Peacock. I know it has movies. I know it has shows. I know it has, it has The Office. But you can imagine, too, if Peacock did lose the Premier League, how many subscribers would they lose? You um, I mean, just by not having the Premier League. So you're talking... There are for... Go ahead. Oh, oh I was going to say, there's not very much. Uh, I, I, maybe it's going to change in the next year as... as, as uh, deals run out with other uh, streaming platforms, but there's not very much that's unique to Peacock. But I constantly am noticing that when I'm watching HBO Max or uh, or Amazon Prime, I'm seeing universal uh, films that are universal films or Paramount films. So my guess is as those deals run out with those company, uh, companies, Universal's going to pull all their stuff back and pull it, put it on Peacock. Paramount's going to pull all their movies back and put it on Paramount Plus. And, um, and maybe their streaming platforms will be more attractive. But then again, if they're not getting the fees from Amazon or uh, HBO Max or whoever, then maybe they're, they're, they're cutting off their own limbs, right? Mm-hmm. Because maybe they're fees and exposure on those streaming platforms. So again, I, I'm now now that I now that you mentioned it, I don't know. I mean, there's if Peacock doesn't do that, though, there's no use to it uh, outside of the Premier League. And if they lose the Premier League, then uh, they're, it's pop, they're going to lose a lot of subscribers. And I think uh, where CBS has really um, buffered themselves for Paramount Plus is that they've got so many different soccer leagues yep. uh, that uh, they're not going to lose in one fell swoop a whole bunch of people, um, even if they don't 
get all their Paramount movie content off of Amazon and off of HBO and off of uh, uh, Hulu has some stuff. Well, Hulu has Universal stuff because let's not forget uh, Universal is still an investor, silent investor in Hulu, even though uh, they, we associate it with Disney. Uh, Disney's the majority owner, but Universal still owns, I, I want to say, a third of, uh, of Hulu. Yeah, or Comcast, I, that would be. And yeah. Universal. Outside of soccer, my top three or top four streaming services I, I use, I watch the most often and find the best programming. I mean, whether it's shows or uh, movies. Number one would be HBO Max. Number two would be yeah. Hulu. Number three is probably Amazon Prime. Number four is Netflix. And then maybe number five is Peacock. And um, net- Netflix for me, I-, I can find good content, but after a while, I hit a wall and I've, se- I've seen everything there is to see, and I have to just wait a while and then come back and then find new stuff. But 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 that- what's your ranking? Is that Kartik? Same same order for me. HBO Max is number one. They have the they have the best stuff for me. Now that's for me. I- I'm not speaking for everyone else, but they have the combination of good movies, good documentaries, original programming, right? All the HBO and, and CNN and all the all that stuff. Um, so that's number one for me. I would say number two is uh, um, uh, is uh, is Hulu. Yeah, number two is definitely Hulu, especially now with the bundle with ESPN Plus. But there's a lot of stuff on Hulu, and the interface is easy. Three would be Prime, four would be Netflix, and five would be Paramount Plus. So I think actually, as oh, yeah. I go through yeah, this, yeah. our ratings are only different on number five. Yeah, and, and Paramount Plus. Uh, I'm not into Star Trek. I'm not into The Good Fight. Um, they do have some good movies on there. So Infinite is on there, um, and The Stand, the series, was fantastic. And the, t- the other thing I've noticed is HBO Max. I mean, maybe it's my television. I, I was actually just trying to ponder this earlier today. Uh, it seems like the picture quality is better. So even if a movie is also on one of those other streaming services, I tend to watch out on HBO Max. Um, well, I, I don't know if that's just my TV and, and, and my HBO Max app. but and, and then the other thing, too, about HBO Max, too, is it has a lot of the uh, theatrical show, uh, movies. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I mean, so you can get to see not all of them, but oftentimes the same day release on HBO Max as it is in the movie theaters. So coming up well, next week is the Suicide Squad as one example. But but yeah, no, no. But so, so I think Peacock is, and actually, yeah, Paramount Plus is probably actually above Peacock in my rankings. But but Peacock has issues, and so this Premier League deal that's coming up is going to be massive for them. It's more important than ever. That they get the rights, um, but uh, oh, man, I, I would not like to be in the same boat as uh, NBC right now. As far as because yeah. there's a lot of competition, a lot of other companies that want the rights to the Premier League, they know that that is there's a guarantee there of of viewers, no matter where that goes. Whew. I don't, we don't that. know. We don't know what the the also the long term commitment in general to Peacock is. I think there was a lot of uh, CNN decided to launch CNN Plus last week. Uh, I don't think we talked about that um, on the show, but and and I'm not sure why they need to launch that um, because HBO Max is so good and has all the CNN special reports and programming, right? All the CNN documentary programming and original programming is on HBO Max. Um, in fact, LFG is a CNN film, actually, not an HBO or Showtime film. But um, the thing that was apparent was that CNN Plus is already poaching talent from NBC that could be used on the streaming side, on the on the news side, um, and uh, that 
raises more questions about Peacock. Well, if, if NBC is allowing CNN to poach their talent on that side, um, what are they doing with Peacock? Because they're already behind on the news side. Hulu has lots of ABC news stuff. Uh, CBS News has been way ahead on the streaming side also, and that's been built into Paramount+. Plus. Obviously, we're talking about HBO and CNN, uh, that, that – that 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 situation. So I, I'm really confused by NBC Universal strategy in general on Peacock. So that's why I'm not convinced they're going to keep the Premier League rights. If it was, if they were absolutely committed to that streaming platform and were showing that they were, I would say, yeah, they have to keep it. But then you would have said that about the NHL also. Uh, yeah. So, but but, but I, it, I don't know. But it, but it could be. It's probably more of a play for the linear side for NBC, where they can say, "Hey, you mean yes, NBCSN is going to be shut down by the end of the year, but USA Network is is in a lot of homes in the United States and has an opportunity there to to grow that audience and keep people uh, subscribed to cable or satellite or kind of a, a Fubo TV type of uh, subscription, so they don't cut the cord." And I think the linear play is actually stronger for NBC. The need, the need is there, but the Premier League has to be looking at this, thinking, okay, hey, you mean the cord cutters? It's getting harder and harder for cord cutters to watch the Premier League. They have to jump through so many hoops to to watch all the games. It gets more expensive, and are we? Uh, uh, do we risk being left behind where we have the Bundesliga? very far ahead in terms of having every single game available through streaming same thing with La Liga is that the way we need to be heading and if so is Peacock the right player for that because there's still a lot of question marks about Peacock in terms of what it offers and the the, the functionality and how well it it works or doesn't work Um, yeah and and, but NBC is married to the linear side Um, so yeah we will return to this topic very soon, I'm sure, on another episode. But moving on to listener mailbag, first up is Ted Hill. And Ted says, I'd be curious for your thoughts about the upcoming EFL championship season that begins on Friday, August 6th on ESPN+. I've enjoyed watching and following the league, but now that both Leeds United and Brentford are in the Premier League, who do you two think will be pushing for promotion and be the exciting teams to watch? Yeah, that's a good question. I had some time to think about this one, and I would say the two teams that are going to be the most exciting, but also uh, probably have the best chances of getting promoted uh, this coming season, at the end of the season, would be Bournemouth, uh, hands down, and West Brom. And I think those two, to me, are at least uh, kind of uh, sure things. The third team, it's difficult because, you mean, it's going to be through a playoff uh to the championship playoff final and that could be anyone so at that point uh maybe it's fulham that'll be in the mix but uh that's the hard part is trying to figure out who that uh that third team is going to be promoted but yeah definitely should be an exciting season for sure uh i'd say um i guess uh, bournemouth for sure under scotty parker fulham west brom have been relegated uh but i would say yeah, and I also like uh, I I think Forest are going to be much uh, much much better this year under Chris Hooten. Yeah. Uh, I hate to tell you this, Chris, but Cardiff, um, your run up under uh, under uh, Mick McCarthy, they have a shot to go up. Um, wow! I don't know how Barnsley's going to do, and um, 
I, unfortunately, I think Swansea, there's going to be a drop-off this year, yeah. but not uh, a drop-off to relegation. I think at this point, Darby is going to get relegated, um, and I would say uh, Huddersfield's in a little bit of trouble from what I can see. They're not making the right moves. Bristol City, I worry about. Uh, the newly promoted teams, I don't have a good read on, but... Um, I think there might be three teams that have been in the division that go down anyway, so the newly promoted teams would all stay up. I know that's probably not going to happen, but that's right. Least. All right, next up is Jason. Jason says, This summer has taught us there must be a combined Western Hemisphere Copa America. It needs to be a 24-team tournament too, 10 Conmebol teams and 13 CONCACAF teams, and then one guest team from either Africa, Asia, or Oceania or a 14th uh, CONCACAF squad. It is the only way you can get something that comes close to matching the Euros and attention, and uh, Euro 2020 blew away anything the smaller Copa America and Gold Cup Cups had. Loco Futi says, People wanting confederations to merge, especially CONMEBOL and CONCACAF, are probably the ones that want a 48-team World Cup or a World Cup every two years. Ridiculous. As someone said, quantity does not equal quality. The World Cup used to be called the World Cup Finals. There is a purpose to World Cup qualification and should uh, keep a meaning. It's part of the process. Ra says, Kartik, I would love to hear your thoughts on the benefits and downsides of a CONCACAF CONMEBOL merger for the different stakeholders, as well as your views on salary caps. I think the only way a CONCACAF CONMEBOL merger works as if it if you can generate a similar amount of revenue for the island nations and CONCACAF who actually control the confederation right um the the what is best on the football side for the u.s and mexico is not um determining factor here in addition uh, we'll see how this plays out with soccer united marketing now being delinked from the u.s soccer federation but uh, another motivation for CONCACAF staying separate was that uh soccer united marketing has controlled the, the the marketing and media rights for CONCACAF now for for a number of cycles and did before at one point too uh before they got it again after the uh the fifa scandal and um there's no incentive. We know U.S. soccer is more concerned about money than anything else. They're not concerned about on-pitch success. They're more concerned about money. And they've spent spent more money on lawyers' fees, even though their lawyers keep winning their lawsuits, uh, lawyers' fees, and on any kind of football development or grassroots football. So uh, I don't think the the U.S. is actually going to lead the charge to go to con the ball either, which would leave Mexico with uh, in this position where – uh, they're going to be stuck or they're going to have to pull in Australia, right? Um, if you want to see that, I don't think a merger is going to happen because I just don't think unless South American countries are willing to part with enough money to tempt island nations in. And these are island nations they don't, they probably don't want. Uh, keep in mind, Suriname, French Guiana, and uh, Guiana, which is, was a British colony, uh, Suriname was a Dutch colony, they're not uh, Spanish or Portuguese-speaking nations and they're uh, disproportionately people of African descent. Um, those countries are on the South American continent and they are not incomnable for cultural reasons, quite frankly, if I'm going to be perfectly honest about it. So I don't think integrating these countries into Comnibal necessarily works. One of the beauties of CONCACAF, to their credit, is that they've been able to keep kind of this eclectic, multicultural uh, uh, uh group of countries together, Spanish-speaking countries in, in Central America and Mexico, English-speaking countries in the U.S. and Canada, and uh, Dutch, English, French, 
and uh, Spanish-speaking countries in the Caribbean uh, all happy and kind of as part of the same unit. In fact, I, I've been around the politics of CONCACAF a little bit, and making Dutch an official language of CONCACAF was a big deal for the Confederation, that they felt like they had to do that in order to keep some of their, their member nations on side. So I think the cultural differences also make it tough. Um, as far as salary caps, I don't like salary caps. I prefer luxury taxes, uh, which is uh, uh, what they do in Major League Baseball, what we attempted in, in, in the NASL, the NASL 2.0, and what I think ultimately might work in European football. All right. So let's follow up uh, talking about some of the comments that came in about Taylor Twellman and some of the observations about uh, him as a co-commentator uh, slash studio analyst from the Euro 2020s. Uh, Jason says there are great American analysts out there. Taylor Twelman, Casey Keller and Steve Torondolo are, are examples. No doubt there's a 100 percent there's a bias against uh, many of them because they have American accents. Greg says, I think it's unfair to categorize the dislike of Twelman to be because he's American. There was lots of love for Kyle Martino, for instance. I got the sense from comments here that it's because he talks too much and offers way too much information, much of it not really germane for the moment when on uh, co-commentary duty. As you point out, he's good in analysis. He'd be, a better, um, he'd be, he'd be better at co-commentary if he'd learned to let the game flow more and not interject with a five-minute uh, soliloquy all the time often talking over good segments of play, or he should stick to studio analysis. But that's why I use the World Feed audio and matches when he's in the booth. Ra says, I don't dislike Twelman because he also comments on MLS games, but rather because he comments on Euro games as if they were MLS games. I watch a lot of European and South American games, and I expect referees to call on fouls and punish infractions differently according to the tournament and culture. Mercator. Uh, another great one, gents, on the podcast. I think Twelman is entertaining and generally pretty knowledgeable, but he does talk quite a lot and often uh, with, absolute, with absolute certainty. So I can see how this is off-putting to some. I like Twelman calling out the past few penalties. Stu Holden did this as well for a few of the Argentina-Columbia p- penalty kicks. It helps them make penalty kicks uh, seem less random and more of a mental match and allows you to appreciate some uh, penalty kicks more like uh, Harry Maguire banging his in uh, despite usually missing in that location. So overall, um, some mixed feedback about Taylor Twelman and uh, I I think some good points raised here too. I think it is one of those things that um, he does speak more than some co-commentators, but not all the time though too. There's been games to that he's done where he's been practically silent. And I'm like, he's so quiet, overly quiet. Um, and for the most part, say, a co-commentary in a average, I don't know, European game, sometimes you don't hear from the co-commentators as much. As years have gone by, Kartik, would you agree that co-commentators, no matter what league they're covering, uh, have become more of an influence or have become ha- had more of the talking time than, say, say 10 years ago? Yeah, I think they have because uh, commentators have learned, and there are some, and a lot of the commentators came from a radio background. We know this was the case with John Champion, Arlo White, among other. John Strong used to be the, the radio announcer for the Portland Timbers, actually. But um, 
there, commentators have learned, uh, even once with radio backgrounds, uh, a champion is the best at this, actually, and he's paired performance so often, that you, uh, you, you don't have to call a match on television the way you do on radio. It used to be uh, not that way, right? Radio announcers would come and uh, call television matches the same way and call every touch and every, uh, every movement. Now, uh, I think there's a recognition among the better commentators you don't have to do that. So that's given more time for co-commentators to talk and analyze. And I think there's also a, a and I'm not a fan of his and was a very, uh, 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 you know, very aggressive in, in, in attacking him when the sexual harassment stuff went on uh, 10 years ago. But Andy Gray um, did actually kind of change the um, – the role of a co-commentator in the English language because he became more animated animated and analytical in his description of things going on on the pitch when he was paired often uh, since we're talking about 12 men in ESPN he was often paired with Ian Dark uh, for Sky and um, and 12 men fits into that role now too uh, pretty well although Dark is a little more talkative actually than than Champion mm-hmm. um, yep. but I think co-commentators are talking more and commentators are talking less. And it's part of a recognition of what what what, what uh, the viewer or the listener wants. Yeah, which which is uh, not always what they want, just because people have different tastes. But I think overall, I think it's definitely an evolution and uh, it has changed a lot, too, um, as you mentioned. So going on to the next comment, and this is talking about um, the discussion about uh, extra time and then going to penalty kicks to decide games that are tied and in my feeling that uh you mean i just hate penalty kicks and I, I find that oftentimes it's not the best way to to finish off a game you mean to, to decide a winner uh jp says all the co- all the comparisons to uh nhl extra time rules are not relevant they only do the 3v3 gimmick during the regular season followed by a shootout if still tied. In the playoffs, which is most comparable to knockout rounds where draws in soccer are not possible, they play extra periods with a full lineup until someone scores. So if you really want soccer to mimic, that that would um, it would be extra time with breaks between every 15 to 30 minutes until there is the golden goal. I'd say right now the short extra time follow it, followed by penalty kicks, uh, if need be, is just fine. Jason says, for the discussion about tiebreakers, I suggest we take a page from hockey. The extra t- uh, time should be 10v10 or 9v9 for the second 15 minutes period. If a team is a man down due to a red card earlier in the match, well, too darn ba- bad. Chris Guardino says, Hi guys, when it comes to extra time, I love the format Kartik suggested in the pod as a hockey fan. In addition to soccer, that same format is used by the NHL for overtime games during the playoffs, although the major disadvantage that is unique to hockey that soccer won't likely have is that there is a 20-minute intermission between the extra time periods. If soccer can avoid that, then this format can be used successfully across multiple competitions and levels of the game. Next up is Adam talking about rights, and he says, Thanks, as always, for a great pod. You guys were one of the pods that inspired me to start my own Focused on More Grassroots Soccer podcast. 
do you have a sense yet as to whether the Indian Super League and Danish Superliga will return to ESPN in the near future? Will there be time with a commitment uh, to La Liga? And will we see more uh, Bundesliga 2 games on ESPN with Werder Bremen and Schalke coming down to the second league who each have up-and-coming US talent in Matthew Harpy and Josh Sargent? So a bunch of questions there. First of all, it's pretty cool that uh, we inspired you, Adam, to do uh, kind of a focus on grassroots soccer. That, and I know that's a big passion. And I actually, uh, I've already checked out Adam's podcast, and uh, uh, he had uh, he's had a conversation uh, in one of his early episodes on Bundesliga too. Ironically enough, so uh, continue. Right? Okay. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I watched. Uh, I'm sure you, you did too, Kartik. The uh, Hamburg against. Um, Schalke, Schalke. Uh, opening yeah. game of the uh, the second Bundesliga s- s- uh, league season opener last week. Good game, really good game. Uh, high quality level. Um, but Adam's question about will we see more on ESPN Plus uh, with uh, Werder Bremen and Schalke down there? I don't think so, because the way it works is that ESPN, when I've spoken to them, um, when they get the feed for um, the, the, the German second division league, it has no commentary on it. It just has the natural sounds from the stadium and that's it. So there's no world feeds commentary that they can use. So as a result, ESPN plus or ESPN has to go ahead and, and figure out, okay, which uh, is it Derek Ray is available, Ross Dyer, Casey Keller, who's available to actually work that game and to commentate it. And ESPN plus will not release a game unless they have, commentary in it they're not going to just just release the audio uh, the, the visuals and and with no commentary uh their minimum quality standards is they, they have to have their own staff doing the commentary for those games so as a result i don't see more um games available now we might see in the course of a season we might see more schalke or veda bremen games or hamburg games or etc uh, over the course of the entire season, but it's, we're still expecting probably one to two games a weekend max uh, from ESPN+. Plus. Indian Super League, I'm not sure. That one, I think the rights have ended. Um, and the Danish Super League, uh, that one right now, as well as the Eredivisie, from what I understand, those rights have finished with ESPN. Um the challenge that we have now, and, and I mentioned this in, in the, the lead into the podcast today, is that with ESPN Plus focusing so much of the money and time and commitments to La Liga, this is giving an opportunity for CBS Sports and, and other uh, broadcasters to, to come in and acquire the rights to some of these other leagues. The Scottish Premiership is a good example of that. So the Scottish Premiership last season was on ESPN Plus, a one-year deal that ended. ESPN Plus, um, you mean let it go and CBS Sports walks in and gets it for Paramount Plus and CBS Sports Network. And I see there's probably a greater opportunity here. There might be more likely that the Danish Superliga and maybe the Indian Super League too, and maybe Eredivisie may end up going to Paramount Plus or another streaming platform uh, outside of ESPN Plus, unless a deal can be done. So I'm sure ESPN Plus will probably will try to get those rights, but they're probably not willing to pay as much as they normally would because they spent $1.4 billion on La Liga. So we're in a period where 
we're expecting a lot of change. And, and uh, the next few weeks should be pretty interesting. So definitely stay tuned to not only this podcast, but also uh, to worldsoccertalk.com. And we will break the news as soon as we, we get it. All right, Corey says, um, any news about uh, who will get the new rights to the championship, FA Cup, League Cup, and Premier League promotion game coming up? So I think we, we've talked about this quite a bit. Um, so the championship this season uh, and the FA Cup this season and League Cup uh, and the championship playoff game will all be on ESPN Plus uh, this year. Next year is a different ball game. So next year we will find out probably by the end of this year who gets those rights. And it could be Paramount Plus. It could be, I don't know, it could be uh, Fubo. Who, who knows who it's going to be? It all depends on who's willing to pay the most amount of money. All right. And last but not least, Chris Guardino says, I have a question about the next MLS TV deal that begins in 2023. My question to either of you is, who do you see as the main contenders for those rights, given the limited budgets that a few companies such as Fox and NBC have? Thanks for all that both of you do. So, Kartik, what do you think? I mean, we, we've talked about this top topic off and on for a couple of years now. Uh, we know that MLS is uh, has had discussions with Fox, uh, Univision and ESPN about the next TV rights deal. Uh, we should find out in the coming months who will have the rights for the 2023 season onwards. Um, so Euro 2020 has screwed me up so much. <laughs> I had to think about what year we're in, uh, as well as Tokyo 2020. But but what do you think? What's, what's your latest take? On, what's your latest feeling for about uh, MLS and, and who the rights may go to in the next uh, in the next rights period? I think CBS certainly has an opportunity uh, to to, to uh, push for some of the rights. Again, the rights have been split from uh, from the U.S. Uh, U.S. men's and women's national team. So, uh, straight MLS with potentially uh, MLS Next and the M- new MLS uh, lower division that's being started. Uh, uh, soon uh, as part of that package uh, that will be a league that competes with USL and NISA in the lower divisions of professional soccer. MLS is starting their own league. So I assume that that will be bundled with it and, and that's seen as a streaming property more than anything. Uh, although USL has been getting some games on, on ESPN networks uh, all at very random times. So maybe MLS will um, require a rights holder to show one or two lower division games who knows uh but i think that that's uh that that gives um a little more content for streaming providers uh, that's why i mentioned the lower division and, and mls next so uh, i think the package will be once again split i think fox will hang on to a portion of it and um maybe and uh, i i don't know uh, what ESPN is going to do. I think ESPN, the numbers have been okay. Uh, it's important that the numbers for matches on ABC, like the Columbus-Atlanta game the other day, uh, are high because ESPN now has a glut of programming, including um, this um, this kind of realignment going on in college sports, which is going to favor ESPN. And uh, one conference is accusing ESPN of meddling in it for their own benefit. But it's going to benefit ESPN. So they're going to have even less programming windows open, particularly if MLS continues to operate on a spring-to-fall calendar where the business end of their season, including their playoffs, conflict with college football. Uh, so 
I think that might open the door for CBS or if NBC wants a property for Peacock that we were just talking about. Um, other players could Turner uh, or, or um, AT and T, the the the, the spin off company now, uh, want want uh, live sports programming for HBO Max. Um, maybe I don't know. I wouldn't rule that out completely. And then I guess uh, in terms of uh, um, Prime, that's an interesting angle. I think MLS might pursue. So maybe you get something similar with the package for Prime as you have in England for the Premier League, or in the UK for yeah. the Premier League, which is special dates, July 4th games will be on Prime, uh, for instance, or uh, certain special match days. Now, it's difficult because timing is everything, and especially these deals, because there are, there are so many players that would, would be interested, and the timing of things can have a big impact. So, for example, if Peacock, uh, God forbid, if they lost the rights to the Premier League... Then all of a sudden, Peacock and Comcast and NBC Universal says, "Oh, oh crap! We're losing the pre- the rights to the Premier League for the uh, the twenty twenty three season onwards, and um, actually twenty twenty two season onwards. Um, what can we, what else can we get? Okay, let's look at Major League Soccer. Let's go ahead and go in big, trying to get some of those rights because we need to keep our soccer sub- subscribers that are subscribed to Peacock. We need to keep them entertained and uh, rather than them jumping ship." So, so that that's part of it. I mean, you you named a lot of different providers as far as um, being interested, uh, and Fox has to be interested um, only because of the World Cup. You mean in terms of making sure that a lot of these players that play in Major League Soccer, not all of them play for the U.S. national team, but there's definitely going to be an American angle there. So it's important for Fox to have that going into um, the World Cup in, for 2026. And then everyone else. I think Univision and ESPN, I think, would still be interested for sure. But the only big question I have is about the outsiders, those who are not currently subscribing or paying MLS for the rights. And that may include, like you said, Amazon Prime. I think that would be a good fit. The other one I would say is um, DAZN. And DAZN already has MLS rights in some countries around the world. But DAZN could make a play here to try to get into with MLS for for the U.S. market. And let's not forget now, DAZN will have a market presence globally because of the uh, – and I know it's being streamed through YouTube – but because of the uh, um, the Women's Champions League, UEFA Women's Champions League, where they are going to be doing the production and it's going to be branded as DAZN. So that's uh, that's effectively uh, – I'm not going to call it free advertising because I think they paid for it, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. For free, people without having to sign up for the zone, they're going to be in people's uh, consciousness in terms of soccer. Now, the audience we know for women's women's football, for even for NWSL versus MLS, there's some overlap, but it's not that great. Uh, that's probably the same situation here, but I think there is enough overlap. So that's a good shout, Chris. I had forgotten about the zone, but I I've maybe overread or read too much into this whole women's Champions League thing, but. My perspective on it is it's a pretty big play for DAZN. They have not secured the properties in all the global markets they want or secured the signups. Now they're going partnering with UEFA to offer something for free, making it accessible that they know there's a demand for. But that gets them back registered with soccer fans uh, around around the world and here in the United States. And as you said, they have MLS in some, some areas already. What I would say is, is just from what we've been watching from this past week, I mean, if you take two games as isolated examples, but so MLS games, Austin FC against Seattle, 
and then uh, Atlanta against Columbus. Uh, two games that really, uh, I think I tweeted about this too, had incredible atmosphere. This was just both the, the Austin Stadium and the Atlanta United Stadium just rocking. Huge crowds, uh, passionate fans, singing, bands, w- flag-waving, and, and the games were decent. They definitely, definitely kind of uh, wasn't the best quality, wasn't the worst quality, was above average, and, and was really kind of intense games that you as a viewer uh, were entertained. It was something to watch. And, I mean, in the Seattle game, we saw an incredible goal by, uh, 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 was it uh, Raul uh, Diaz uh, scored a great goal in that game. But then, I mean, so so if you're a Amazon Prime or if you're an HBO Max or you're a DAZN and you're watching these games, you're like, wow, this is really good entertainment. Uh, not every game is like this by any means, but this is something that we could put on our platform and have it available through streaming and and push that as as something to encourage people to, to subscribe to. Um, so so there's a lot of different things that could happen. Uh, there's a lot of different players involved. And this is a story that will be ongoing, I think, for the next few months at least. And we will cover it in detail. It's probably the only place you can go to can get the, the detail that we give, as well as getting your feedback, the listeners, um, and your inputs and your uh, observations and suggestions. Um, it really, really is very, very useful. And I know from personal experience, too, that a lot of these companies actually do listen to the show to hear what soccer pa- fans are thinking or talking about when it comes to uh, streaming games or watching games on television. So so your input is always very, very uh, vital. So we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email. If you have any questions, observations, comments, uh, disagree with us, uh, let us know. Uh, email is uh, web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can send us a message through there. And on Twitter, you can uh, add at us at uh, World Soccer Talk. And then, of course, you can, also po- you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com in the comments section for this podcast. Kartik, we've covered a lot in this episode. Uh, it's good to be back. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be back now on a more regular basis. Uh, tons of soccer news to get to that we've talked about. We've talked about some, some news about uh, from what we've been watching and things to look forward to. Um, and where can listeners find you on social media if they can, uh, if want to follow and message you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at KKFLA737. That's the only thing I'm really active on, although I did open a Pinterest account a week and a half ago, but uh, uh, still trying to figure out how that platform works. But one of the things I'm going to do on there actually uh, related to World Soccer Talk is uh, 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 post a number of my um, um, uh, football, soccer, video, uh, uh, not videos, uh, pictures of, of, of stickers and cards, etc., and old programs, that sort of thing. I found cool. uh, that social media platform uh, appealed to me more because of uh, the potential for that kind of content. So we'll be yeah. doing that on Pinterest uh, in the near future. Yeah, yeah. And also, have, have you considered uh, Instagram for posting a lot of those pictures? Yeah, but I don't think the audience is quite the same, right? No, I, I, I think if anything, it's probably more visual. So a lot of the things, whether it's um, soccer cards, stickers, you um, mean any anything in terms of collectibles and things like that, it's very visual. So I think it would actually be. I mean, Pinterest is very visual too, of course, but I think Instagram that yes. could uh, that could uh, definitely be uh, helpful. I, I'd follow you. I'd watch it. I, I would. I, I would check it out. 
All right. So, listeners, uh, if you do have any feedback, just let us know. Uh, and heading into another weekend of football from around the world, we've got the Scottish League starting up this weekend. Uh, next week is the Championship. We also have the Gold Cup final this weekend, the Trophy de Champions, and uh, the Olympics, of course, on the men's and women's side, and a ton of soccer from around the world. What are you going to be doing, Kartik? And what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.